podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the AI Premier League Preview Pod. The league leaders bounced back from their first defeat of the season with the routine, if uneventful, win over Brighton this past weekend. And with Spurs faltering and uh, Kane injured, Son gone, it's now beyond doubt it seems that it's down to a, a two-horse race. So with Klopp keen to keep his record-breaking Reds relaxed and focused on the next game, that's exactly what we're going to focus on as well. With the return of Roy Hodgson, uh, as Crystal Palace travelled to Anfield this weekend. So on the pod this week, I'm joined by... AI regular and co-host of the Desi pod, Harinder Singh. And from Palace fanzine, five-year plan, we welcome back uh, Jesse Boyce. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello, Jesse. It's been a while. How you doing? How you doing, Harinder? Good to to join you guys again. Indeed. Yeah, I thought thought I'd reunite you guys, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it it made sense on the pod. Um, uh, But Jesse, I mean, to start with you guys and, and, and jump straight into Palace, then I guess... Um, as I imagine a few of the fans have wanted to do at certain points this season. Um, I mean, that miraculous win over Man City just a few weeks away really now, but um, it was really that poor run of form throughout October and November that seems to have you guys here playing catch-up, of course, currently sitting 14th in the table, uh, four points clear from the bottom three um, as you travel to Anfield this weekend. So I just wanted to ask you just generally what you've made of of recent performances, recent results, and um, yeah, that win over Wolves, but followed by a loss to to Watford, um, and then just just to get your thoughts generally on, on what happened during that awful patch um, around October, November. Oh, how how much did you enjoy that win over City? First of all, oh, what w- wonderful! I mean, uh, what I would say is that me, Arinda, Guy, everybody on Anfield Index, um, none of us ever ever doubted Andros Townsend, okay? Uh, any, anybody who claims that I did say things that were mean or spiteful about him, it's nonsense. I always, always thought he was Iron Robin reincarnated. So I was, I was delighted. He had two goals in goal of the month for December. Did you see that? And he, he came first and second. So um, he definitely had, a good, definitely had a good little patch. But he can do that. He just frustrates people that he, he doesn't do it uh, consistently. But um, yeah, just to the bigger picture then. So it's just, I think we, we're just getting used to this kind of cycle of having a terrible first half of the season and somehow rescuing it in the second half. It just seems to be what we do. Um, not that you're in any danger on Saturday, but, um, it's Hodgson's sort of, he, he did, did come under a lot of pressure approaching December because we knew we had to play City and Chelsea and then it all just came to get, he kind of, a lot of Palace fans' eyes, jobs. He, a lot of Palace fans' eyes. He saved his job um, by beating Leicester and then beating City, and suddenly we, we started to look in a better place. And Burnley, we beat as well. So December was quite good for us. I think we had about three wins going into Christmas, and then yeah, in, in true Palace form, we we kind of uh, faltered, and then we we beat Wolves. And uh, we're just sort of hoping that we can take take that form into the new year, and then Palace style, we, we go and lose again. So it's just been blowing hot and cold the whole uh, first half of the season. But we just, as I say, we're just used to that. Um, we've just, I just can't. If you were Hodgson and you finished last season with Benteke scoring one goal from open play, I'm just amazed. I'm astounded that he went into a, he willingly went into another season with him as his main striker. Um, and obviously we, we hoped that he got left out of the World Cup squad and we kind of hoped that, uh, kind of a, a relatively relaxed summer and uh, kind of pre-season to rebuild his confidence could, would mean that he would come into this season, um, back to his old self. That just didn't happen. Then he got his injury again. He's just come back on Saturday. Um, so we're just desperate for a new signing this, this month. Just someone saw a lot the kind of make way that they bought from Denmark this time last year. It's done nothing for us. He's gone out on loan to Ghent because Wickham's back to full fitness. But I just, I'm just amazed that he's gone into this season with Sawlot, who's a second rate or third rate striker. Wickham, who's just so injury prone and Benteke with no confidence. It's no surprise that we, we've scored five or six goals at home all season. So 
Just more of the same. It's business as usual. That's how I'd say. Business as usual. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think one thing I was interested about was, and I remember last time we got you on, we were speaking about Hodgson and sort of the perception around him. And of course, I mean, sort of the negative perception that came when, you know, before he took this job, really. And, and then the wonderful job he did do, um, uh, initially in, so, in sort of, um, stabilizing you guys. I mean, I, I know Liverpool fans are very, um, uh, it's very difficult for us to hear the words steady the ship and Hodgson in the same sentence sometimes, but that's, but that's exactly what he did for you guys, of course. And then, uh, I guess what I was wondering was, I mean, you mentioned that you know, you're getting used to starting the season, um, poorly and then rescuing it in the second half sometimes, but yeah. given that it was Hodgson from the off this, um, this season, um, and, uh, he didn't really seem to have a solution, as you mentioned there, a little bit hands tied given the situation with the, the personnel you've got. I did wonder just how close to the brink he, he was getting at some stage. I mean, do you think that even if, do you think if he, if he negotiated you to safety this season, that would be enough to keep him in the job? Or do you think that he's, people are already looking beyond him, um, following the season? Um, he's, he's always had the sort of, the mainstay support. Like right? so he's he's never been under real pressure where the fans are, uh, are turning on him that badly, or there's definitely not no songs chanted against him. So it's not a, the pressures from the stands never really been there yet. Um, I think there's a, there's sort of a sense that he's probably too afraid to retire. There's a little bit of um, Bobby Robson about him, I think, just the kind of England manager that has come back home to his to his hometown club and. I don't know where where do you go from there. I'm not really sure. So I, there was some sort of murmurs that the board would be too scared to fire him because he does he is relatively kind of safe hands. Like it's unlikely that he'll take us down. Um, but it's, there's not. But at the same time, there's not a lot that looks like progression going on. Um, the chairman doesn't want to be the one that retires him or kind of sends him packing, and I need to be careful what he wishes for. So. I just, he's sort of treading water with Roy. And I, just, I, I just can't imagine in what scenario he will leave, <laughs> if I'm honest. Unless there is someone that comes in who's clearly someone that he's going to kind of groom to be his, his natural successor, but is that. I don't think that the, um, Dougie Friedman's in the background somewhere, but he left on such acrimonious sense. Um, Bolton a few years ago and he somehow weaseled his way back into the into the the, the back room staff. So I just wish it's a little bit of an unknown quantity where, where we go from here uh, in terms of management. Yeah, I was thinking so much as well. I, I, I think what you mentioned about, I mean, he, he he's a manager who you sort of know exactly what you what you're going to get from him in terms of tactical approach and things like that. And one thing I had seen floating around. Um, the you know, sometimes cesspool that is Twitter, of course, was the um, was the accusation that he, he he's lacked a plan B this season. Or is is that fair, or is it just simply that? I mean, with the striking options that you had available, there really isn't a, a plan B that's proved effective enough. I know people sometimes talk about moving Zahar into a you know a the, the position as a central striker, but he does seem to be at his most effective when he's playing out wide coming in. Um, is he sort of just uh, damned a little bit until you do get you know sort of fresh personnel in? He's he's kind of sort of unfairly stereotyped as being a dinosaur. I think. I mean, you can't just say that because of his age. It's slightly unfair. Um, at the same time, he is definitely sort of showing a lot of stubborn streak, um, which I think's just put down to him being a dinosaur. But I think it's just him. Um, so let's put this 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 plan B. Uh, myth to bed. I think that he he obviously started off with Benteke as, as the striker, the one up front. And when Benteke got injured, he didn't really have a plan B because Wickham was still injured. Sorlot has gone on loan to to Belgium, so that enough said about what he can do. And we've got Jordan Ayu on loan from Swansea, who's just started scoring. He scored two goals in 2019, so um, he's he's the best he's ever been for us right now. But I think he was kind of, at that point, when Bateke got injured, he had no choice but to revert to this rather strange 4-4-2 where we have four centre midfielders across midfield, and which is where Loftus-Cheek was playing last year uh, on the left wing. And then we had Townsend and Sahar just making themselves a nuisance as kind of a double false nine approach. And we beat 
the first time he did it, we beat Chelsea at home. So it kind of looked like he'd craftily worked out a way to beat Chelsea over an international break um, about October last year. Now, what's happened since then is he started against Wolves. He kind of played a bit of a, um, a curveball 4-3-3 and we beat them 2-0. And I was amazed by that because he didn't rest any players over Christmas. So by the time our final Christmas fixture before the FA Cup was against Wolves away and he was put out the same kind of squad that he put out for the previous few games without much joy and we somehow beat Wolves 2-0. So that's the kind of approach he put into, he put the same team that he put against Wolves out against Watford. So he has sort of tried his third formation of the season. So the plan B um, sort of accusation doesn't really hold water. It's a bit, bit sort of a lazy um, criticism of Roy at the moment. I just think that he's got, he's got to be looking to freshen up his squad. Um, as I just mentioned, we really do miss Loftus-Cheek. Without his drive through midfield, we are a little bit weak in there. And uh, we've really missed him this season. I think that we didn't approach the new season thinking that we should, right, thinking right about replacing Losses Cheek and Kabai. Got Max, Max Mayer in, who's not really sort of come to, come to life yet. We're sort of still waiting to see what he can do. So we're missing a couple of players. If Roy's got any chance of showing any signs of progression, otherwise we'll be treading water all the way through to the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think I recently saw as well as it combined has been released by Almessa. So I, I saw a few sort of comments flying around about getting him back in. I'm sure people thought there's worse options than that, but it, it does sound like it's, it's sort of that, that creativity in the midfield. And then obviously somebody in the uh, opposition box to actually put those chances away. It's been, been missing for a long time now. Um, yeah. I even, I even saw somebody mentioning Giuseppe Rossi as well. <laughs> and I saw he's, That's... he's, He's floating around, isn't he? That that was talked about. You've given me a flashback. I think that was talked about uh, in the summer, actually. That guy. Um, but just on your point, on your question about Zaha too. He's in my mind. I've been watching him play since he was sixteen, so for eight or nine years now. And he's never. He's, his finishing has never been great. It's got better, but it, he's him and Velassi just was so guilty of putting it into Rosette when they could have easily just tried to keep it on the floor to have any chance of scoring. He's not a great finisher. He, he needs a few chances to score. Um, okay, he's, he, there's been a lot of comparisons about his stats. When he does play in a central role, he's scored more goals than he has out wide. But that's not a surprise, is it? If, you, if you're going to score more, score from a central position more than you play, more than you score out wide, that you'd expect that. And he he does he just does his most damage when he's playing on the wing, um, getting attracts players towards him, somehow weasel his way through, and inevitably he finds someone in space. To, to put a shot on target. We played Watford last year. This is the, the game I always default to, where we played absolutely terrible with Zaha up front, losing 1-0. And with 10 minutes to go, he, Roy finally put Zaha on the wing and we managed to win the game 2-1 in the dying seconds because he put it through, wizarded his way into the box and put it back into the penalty spot for MacArthur to score a winner in the 92nd minute. That, that to me is just kind of Zaha in a nutshell. He's... He does, he looks, he's happier. He's, he's, it's his natural domain to be out on the wing causing terror. And when you put him up front with his back to goal, it's just, it just feels very unnatural and awkward. He has his moments where it works, but for 90 minutes, it's quite painful to watch. So you'll find a lot of Palace fans sort of relieved if, if we see Wilf on the wing because he's, he's not a born striker. He's not a natural finisher. Yeah. And I, I've seen some people sort of, Suggest it, but it, it does always seem to be sort of fans of other clubs who actually, as you mentioned yourself, haven't watched him play for years and sort of know the, the strengths and weaknesses that he possesses and how it's actually, it, it is probably best that he starts in a wide position because he does, he does seem so threatening in those positions when he has, when he's in form and he's given the chance, of course. I mean, I mean, we've seen in the past him sort of terrorize our center backs when they're dragged out wide. And it's, um, I'm very pleased that those days seem, seem to be over, of course. But, um, the other area where, of course, you, you, you've got an injury crisis now, it appears is, um, in the goalkeeper position. And I'm guessing that's another thing. I think you're, you're potentially going to do some business, uh, shortly to bring in a Brazilian goalkeeper, but was it Vicente Gator got injured in the, the game against Watford? And then, uh, is it fair to say that Wayne, Hennessy didn't cover himself in glory when he came <laughs> when he came off. This is a very hot topic. So um, 
we've just been dying for Gaeta to get his chance between the sticks because he was a very sought-after keeper in La Liga last year. We 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 were we had a real stroke of luck there. So this just to give the backstory, this time uh, 12 months ago, he was free to speak to clubs because his contract was up in the summer with Tafe, and we somehow got in there first and managed to get him to sign a free contract agreement, which meant that he was ours and he was definitely joining us from pre-season. Um, in that time, there were rumours started to circle that Barcelona wanted to sign him and were trying to buy his contract out of us. I don't know how true that was, but suddenly it just felt very typical Palace that we'd got this deal and suddenly it looked like he wasn't going to come after all. So we're kind of quite surprised that he came in the end. And then he, ugh, Roy seemed to stick with Hennessy. I think the pre- a, a serious contender to his position gave Wayne a better, a better start than he's ever had before for us. Started to be a bit more assertive and the main thing is Wayne just not making mistakes because his mistakes seem to be so visible and seem to lead to things such as the goal against Watford on, on Saturday. I'll come to that. So Vicente's got in um, and has kept his place since he's come in over Christmas. Um, but in the first half, I was right behind the goal at the Homestyle end on Saturday and he just he, he had some sort of calf muscle injury. I don't know if he got kicked or something. But they tried to treat him and he carried on for a bit, but he had to come off just before half time. Um, I, I think he, the word at the time or ever since has been that he's out for a few weeks at least. So then Hennessy came on. He's been having back spasms that we've sort of been hearing about, which is why he, he, lo- he lost his place in the side. That's um, perfect for a goalkeeper, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So two injured goalkeepers. And our third keeper, Spironi, who's an absolute club legend, uh, whenever he's called upon, he he always seems to just be a real lift for the crowd because he can do no wrong. If he makes a mistake, we'll forgive him for it. And he genuinely just, he feels like a fan who's somehow got himself a, a palace contract and he treats every, every appearance like, uh, his last. And so when I mentioned earlier, we beat Chelsea last year with Roy's first 4-4-2 dabble. That was, he also records Baroni into the side. We hadn't scored a goal or, um, hadn't scored a goal in seven games, haven't got a point in seven games. Remember that, that point? So, he had to oh, do yeah. something over, over the international break. And the clever thing that I thought he did was bring Spironi in because he would just give the crowd a real lift against Chelsea. And it works. We won that game. And Spironi led, made all the players come over and clap the fans the way they used to when we were in the championship. So there's a lot of spirit in Spironi. And it, it, although I don't think he's, he's 39 this week, I don't think he's like someone we should be starting games with. But um, we clearly need a fourth option the way things are looking right now. So yeah, this... The guy that you've spoken about, you've done your research. Um, I think his name's Perry, surname Perry. He's um, coming from Sao Paulo, apparently, with a loan uh, at the first point just to kind of get it over the line. Um, I really don't know what's going on. This It's literally sort of been breaking news today. But the goalkeeper, we, Palace fans love their goalkeepers. We've, you know, we had Nigel Martin for years. He was the first million pound goalkeeper and we took him to our, to our hearts. And Speroni's sort of been the sort of, fans favourite ever since then so we're dying just to have a consistent goalkeeper figure that we can grow to love again um, but it's just been a really sort of the goalkeeping shirt's been a real hot potato we don't really um, don't really know if Vicente's had a few games we don't know if he's if he's the long term solution he's done better than Hennessy's done in his time here uh, so we'll see about that and I don't know who will be playing against you on Saturday I have no idea yeah, I was about to ask, actually, is it going to be 39-year-old Julian Speroni putting in a Buffon-like performance at Anfield? I mean, it's, such things have happened in the past. We've all, we've all seen it, unfortunately. But um, Well, I can't, can't make it on Saturday, but if I, had, if I got word that Speroni was starting, that would be, it'd be a lot of fans that would like to see that because it, yeah. might, not, it might be his, his last appearance. No, yeah, I know what you mean. I think uh, Liverpool fans hold Mignolet in a sort of similar affection, actually. <laughs> I think plenty of fans went to that FA Cup game because they were aware that it was potentially his last performance for, <laughs> performance for the club. Is, were, they, were they pleased about that? <laughs> yes, I think they were very pleased. I mean, I mean, I, 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 I'm being very unfair, actually. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. he's, he's been a decent uh, professional and, and a solid cheerleader on the uh, yeah. on the social media front. And I'm sure there's a career waiting for him as some sort of creative director somewhere <laughs> somewhere in the future. But just before we get onto the game itself, actually, um, and sort of your, how you think uh, Hoshan will approach it this weekend, I just wanted to ask you just just one high point that 
Um, I had noted throughout the season, it's pretty much hard to miss this guy, uh, whether you watch match of the day highlights or whether you have, I guess, a more in-depth uh, knowledge of Palace and watch them every week uh, as you do. But um, Juan Basaka's development, I think it's almost gone under the radar a, a little bit just because of the, the fact that England at the moment are particularly well stocked for young right backs or, or players who can play in that position, certainly. Um, but I just wanted to ask you sort of what you've made of his development throughout the season and, and what's the most impressive aspect of um, of his game uh, to you, you know, based on somebody who's, who's watching him week in, week out? Oh, he's just a phenomenon. It's it's quite insane. Um, if you consider how he he got into the first team, it was purely because um, we had we had no one to play right back. I think Del Ward was injured, and he, he there was no sort of build up to his entrance into the first team. It just happened. And but his first three games were Spurs at home, which we narrowly narrowly lost one nil, um, and then I think he played Man United and Man City. I think those those were his first three games. If not, it was three of the top five, and he he just Took like a duck to water. It's like I know it sort of. It feels like it's been plain sailing for him, but he's made it look easy. And what's been surprising, what's been the biggest illustration of of how good he is, is how well he's coped with his his opposition, game by game. So I remember Iwobi from Arsenal came. We drew two two with Arsenal at home this year, and it was right in the middle of Arsenal's twenty two game unbeaten run. So. I think we were so close to ending that and we probably should have won that game. But Iwobi <laughs> made one run to try and beat Wambasaka and he's, to your question, he's so good at recovery tackling. So if it looks like someone's past him and someone's stronger than him, he's got these, this telescopic uh, ability to just always hook the ball out of play or hook it back. So when he looks beaten, he will always surprise you with how he wins it back and how, how, um, rare it is for that to be a desperate lunge or to turn into some kind of foul. Usually in that situation, the player that tries to make the last ditch tackle makes a foul. And it, it always looked like it was going to be. But Basaka always seems to be able to cleanly win it back and then be upright within a split second and passing it safely and somewhere into the middle. And it's just happening game after game after game. And the only sort of left winger that I think has got the better of him was Felipe Anderson at West Ham. He was, I think, we we just didn't turn up at the um, the Taxpayer Stadium that day. He uh, he completely um, showed his experience against Juan Bissaka. And against Brighton, he made one. We lost at Brighton three 0 in a terrible. We lost three 0 at half time, and they were down to ten men. It was a terrible game in the league in December. You might remember. And he sort of made a bit of a weird back header into danger. So. He's only really made one mistake in, in a game, in a game where the whole team had an off day. He's, he's just incredibly consistent. Um, I've just seen him last year when Man United came to our place. Um, Sanchez was on the, the left wing and Mourinho took Sanchez off and put Rashford on because Sanchez just could not get past Wambasaka. So it's just been interesting to see how other teams have underestimated him as well and, and tried to address mm. it. Um, I could just go on all day about, about, how consistent he is and how well equipped he is to deal with whatever's thrown at him. I think yeah. a lot of credit has to go to James Tompkins. So Tompkins, who's the right side centre back, you'll see is complete is always talking to him. And same goes for Andros Townsend. They link up together so well. I thought it was and on that point when the goal of the month was on match of the day at the weekend, the two goals that, that Andros had in both games uh, against City and Burnley. The, when they do the close-up of his goal celebration, Wan-Bissaka was the first to congratulate him both times, which I think tells you how closely they interlink and overlap each other. So have a look for how Wan-Bissaka just feeds off of Tompkins and Townsend. I think they, they know that it's their role to mentor him, and to make sure that, that he, he doesn't succumb to any excess pressure or anything. See, see, see is it your first time watching him this weekend? No, it, 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 won't, it won't be the first time actually, because I, 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 I'm actually sort of um, unfortunately going to bring it back to the earlier game of the season, where of course he was he was so involved earlier on, but eventually saw saw a red card from making one of those yeah. challenges. I think actually right that that you're mentioning there. I think he he, he made a couple of corkings, um throughout the entire game actually, yeah, because he was one of the few players who actually could keep up with our attackers into you know, providing that cover and defence, and then. 
um, you know, makes that rash challenge, gets sent off. But you know, I, think, I think he got a standing ovation, if I remember if yeah. I remember rightly, as he walked off the pitch, which of course is you don't always see with a red yeah. card. Um, and just taking it back to that game as well, I remember uh, quite a tight game, quite a physical game. And I, I remember also um, it being one of the first games that we thought, okay, we'll, we'll see whether I'll see how Allison stands up to this test because it was you know it was the first game where we thought we we, we may be tested airily. Um, none of us were really aware of how well we would we were going to be doing defensively this season at that point. And um, he, he he did come up with a, a, a couple of great free kicks, a couple of decent headed chances as well. We where he had to be a bit more commanding than we than we'd seen before that. And of course, it was only that late, very very late breakaway goal from Mane where he somehow kept his feet um, to, to score the second right before the end that finally yeah. killed things off. Um, but it was a tight encounter. I just wanted to ask you what what sort of game, um, what type of game are you are you expecting uh, this weekend? Of course, it's a, it's a different kettle of fish. So going away from home, I suppose. But um, I mean, would you expect Hodgson to uh, look at how Hewton um, played us this past weekend in terms of being being conservative, looking to counter where you can, not really caring for having the ball um, too too greatly, um, and uh, trying to adopt that approach when he comes to Anfield? So this is a good question. I think I think we're in slightly uncharted territory for Hodgson here. So I, it's not easy to predict what he'll do. But I think because I, I just he's been putting Jordan Ayew as the striker. Uh, Benteke just made his first appearance in months. Came on as a sub on Saturday. So Ayew has been the kind of the striker up front with Andros and Wilf um, on the wings, uh, tucking in. So. I think this is the first time he's he's going to start Wickham or Venteke. I wouldn't be able to say which one because they're both sort of equally being tentative, tentatively introduced back into first team action. So I wouldn't know which one is strong enough to start or at least play play the whole game in theory. But I'd expect him to start one of those. He's got to with uh, Van Dyke because Van Dyke against AU is going to be such a mismatch. It's not even worth bothering with. So I I think Roy's going to be forced into starting with Venteke and Wickham, although. If he had a choice, I don't think I don't think he would. But he's got to force one of them back into the starting lineup. Um, and then at the back, I don't know what he's going to do about the goalkeeper because that must, if it's Spironi or whoever it is, because it's not going to be Gaeta or Wayne. I don't think the rookie's going to come in. It must be Spironi. Uh, that's got might affect his uh, choice of defence. Although we have got a pretty solid starting lineup with Van Aanholt. He's been a bit off the boil this season. He doesn't seem to be that confident at the moment. Um, Tompkins and Sacco and Wembasaka. So I think he's going to need his first choice back four, and Spironi's going to have to kind of be well drilled with them this week if that's how we're going to start against against your threat. Um, and I expect, just expect him to pack the midfield. I think he'd probably go with um, probably five across the middle. So yeah, four five one. I'd expect him to play. All right. Okay. Good. Great stuff. I mean, we're already sort of accustomed to this four-five-one. I think we're probably going to be getting going to be getting a lot of it um, towards the latter half of the season. Um, and, it, and of course, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I guess from a from a tactical perspective. I mean, Horenda. I mean, I'm 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 just conscious that I know. I think Jesse has to has to, has to shoot off soon. So I, I just wanted to get you involved as well, just just to ask. And um, I mean, do you, when you hear what Jesse's saying there about you know, this could be one of the games where Benteke and Wickham start. Um, and uh, you know, to try and compete with Van Dijk airily. Um I mean, what do you think of sort of the, those tactics and um, how Liverpool are going to cope with this approach that we're going to see more and more in recent weeks of just you know, packing the midfield, looking to be as tight and as conservative as possible? I wish them the best of luck. Have they seen <laughs> all the other teams who've tried it? <laughs> I genuinely do, because anyone who's tried to park a bus either in midfield or defence has been has been beaten. Yeah, I think what I find even more interesting though is how Roy will set this um, Palace up. Palace are currently on 22 points. Below them you have Burnley, Southampton, Cardiff, and then you reach the bottom three. So there's four points between Crystal Palace at 22 points and Newcastle, who are third from bottom at 18 points. Newcastle play Cardiff. Southampton and Burnley, I can't remember who they've got to play, but should Palace lose, and either one of those teams below them win, it drags Palace right the way down. I'm sure Roy knows this as well. I'm sure Roy knows this as well. And so I sit there and I think Roy could try to be cagey and be very, very defensive and look for the draw and 
you know what? He's well within his rights to. His goal here is to ensure that Palace don't lose or nick a win. Nicking a win might be difficult at Anfield. Many teams have tried. It's quite difficult to win at Anfield this season, as has been in previous seasons. Um, sorry, as in the last season. Previous seasons, I can't really say, because Palace did win previous seasons at Anfield, rather embarrassingly for Gerrard's last match at Anfield. I remember that, quite sadly. And some of the ones that Klopp got to see for himself. But all that aside, the underlying fact is Roy will look to defend but any team that has just looked to defend or do nothing else at Anfield has walked away with no points. Right, no one's getting any joy there at all, are they? Whatever no, they're they not. And also, if you're going to go aerially, well, even better luck to you then. Because welcome to Virgil van Dijk world. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a machine. He's an absolute machine. Absolute wouldn't it, wouldn't unit. It, wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be funny if Roy just decided to just go rogue and put Wickham and Benteke up <laughs> It would be I mean, great, though, for football <laughs> reasons, you know, if he just went all, went, said, you know, let's, let's do it, let's go toe to toe, let's see what happens, and, and throw all <laughs> caution to the wind, and give everyone a spectacle. We'd love that. <laughs> we would have loved that back in 2010 also, <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong, it didn't happen. But, that being said, Roy did give us a great day in December last year, yeah. where you, when you beat Man City. And I said so as well. Horror Host is one of the greatest days of my life as a Liverpool fan, cheering on Roy Hodgson, <laughs> wanting Crystal Palace to beat Man City and just hold on. And you did. Fantastic. Didn't you say yeah. all was forgiven, Herinda? I think you said no, all No, that was, was Dan Kennett. That was okay. Darth. <laughs> okay. All, all is forgiven. I, I, I wasn't as easy. <laughs> yeah. Tem- so, tem- think... Temporary reprieve at Christmas, for sure. I think a couple of things. So in the game at Selhurst, I thought we played really well because that was only the second game of the season, wasn't it? Yep. And we, on my wedding anniversary as well, so I remember it well. Oh, at least at least we did it for you. We let we Thank let you. Them for you I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate my wife also letting me go. <laughs> so we we had the first game of the season beat Fulham two 0 and it looked like for once we were going to start the season well, um, but we didn't really recover from the loss against you guys in the next game but we did play quite the first half we played really well we yeah I thought so too I thought it was quite an even first half um, yeah. and then Sacco decided to nibble at, at Salah like once twice and then the penalty um, and in the second half it did seem sort of going one way and then go the other way then go another way then go, and, you know, and obviously the second goal came from I think it was Mane yeah Mane from the firm just bursting past the halfway line. But that aside, that, that match will be remembered for the turn done by Naby Keita launching a near 60-yard pass, which nearly led yeah. to a goal. Had that led to a goal, I think all bets would have been off in regards to that match because it would just have been amazing had that all been pulled off. But it was one of Naby's great performances for us. Mm. Um, where we sit right now, though, is that Liverpool are at the top of the league and the lead is slender. It's four points. We'll take it, however it comes right now. If it remains a four-point gap till the end of the season, I'll take it because it means that we win the league. But all that being said, I wouldn't be a Liverpool fan if I didn't desire a victory at the weekend. Similarly, Crystal Palace fans would want a victory or people would want a bit of a scalp. I totally get it. I'm just hoping it's not us. No, I think you're... I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be worried and I'm sure you're not. But I think that you'll be surprised how good our ball retention is. We can play, we can link it together better than I've seen us play for, um, probably ever, especially in the Premier League anyway. This is the best passing team we've had in the Premier League. It's just it's just typical that we've got nothing in the final third that sort of adds up to a threat to the other team. Because you've, I think our previous three home games before Saturday, or our previous three games before Saturday, we'd had something like 60 shots and scored one goal. Oh wow! Home. Yeah, like we've had a ridiculous. Like you see against Burnley, um, we had about thirty odd shots, and they had two. So we've had no problem. Just have any of your goals been headers? Have any of them been headers? Yeah. Um, yeah. We, well, well, I wouldn't count it as a goal really because it was against Grimsby in the FA Cup. Oh, yeah, okay. Because no one scored a header against us this season. So I thought, I thought you were going <laughs> Com- coming back to aerial attacks. <laughs> It connects oh, well, quite nicely. Roy, Roy doesn't really really like crossing, which which is bizarre because he's got three lumps as his as his uh, strikers. So we just we just we put all this effort in to get to get the ball into the dangerous final third, 
and it just hits a kind of blunt dead end. And so we do well. We, we put up a fight in our own half and in the middle, but when we get to our half, we inevitably give it back to you, and they're on the back foot, back foot again. So it's incredibly frustrating to see quite a well-oiled machine stutter when it gets to the, biz, end, the business area. I think that's our main frustration, really. Yeah, uh, no, so, and you're not in the you're not in the habit of conceding goals, so you can see how it's going to go on Saturday. It was, it's, we'll probably put up a good fight. It just depends. It's one of those games where, like the City game, for us to have any chance, we've got to be on our we've got to take our chances and be on our very best and hope that you guys uh, are have an off day. That's the that's the way teams like Palace uh, get any joy. In, in yeah, please top, don't top score teams. a career worldie. I think I think. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully Andros has cashed that check for, yeah. for this think, season. Yeah, that's it. He's used it up, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've set, you've set yourself up nicely there, then I guess in terms of just, um, if, if I do put you on the spot, Jesse, and ask for a prediction then for, for the weekend's game, um, what would you go for? Um, well, I'll take anything that, that resembles a point or more, obviously, but I just, as long as as long as we don't concede too early, because we've done quite a, in previous seasons, we've had a real bad habit of conceding early goals and then just trying to trying to uh, sort of play an uphill battle after that. This year we've been a lot better at that. We've not conceded much very early on. Um, I think Salah, when he got that penalty against us, I think he was he kind of won that penalty. He definitely had a couple of shots and was. It felt a bit like hard work for him, so I was quite disappointed to see him fall over in the box because he's much better than that. But um, he's, he seems to be on form right now, which is typical uh, for us. So it just depends if, we, if if those guys click and turn up the way they have been. If if, if you're if you if for any reason it doesn't click and we we have a good day, I'd like to think we've you know we've got it in us. We just did it to City, and it would be bloody typical for us to. Uh, have have a say in the title race. We seem to do that at some point every season. But I want I'd like Liverpool to win the league. So um I'll take anything that you guys want to give us. But I think you're 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 quite likely to win. I'd probably I'd like the goal I'd like to lose by no more than a goal though, because I think we've got the quality to do that. It just depends if, if we make any mistakes or if we give too much away. So if you press me on a score, um I'd like I'd like to say you probably win one nil. And hopefully we won't get any sending offs at the end of the game this time. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being realistic. No, I mean, I mean, I think that I think that that'll be music to most Liverpool fans here. Here, in terms of like, we we want you to win the league. I'm sure, I'm sure Roy feels the same. <laughs> feels the same way. But um, anyway, Jesse, thanks so much for that insight on Palace. I mean, it's um certainly going to be interesting to see whether or not you can you can bring in the required quality I guess in January to really help you push on because it does seem as though as you mentioned at the start of the pod it's really just a case of of treading water at the moment but um anyway that that was Jesse again from from five year plan but uh, back uh, to to speak to Harinda bring him in and, and speak about those league leaders the the Reds okay back now and then uh, of course talking Liverpool um, fun to talk Liverpool these days. Um, yeah, I mean, the last time I was on this pod, of course, it was talking about the, the first defeat of the season. Herinda, it was, it was a weird feeling. I have to be honest with you, it was a strange, it was an odd feeling, and it was even even odder feeling, I guess, to um, sort of come to the realization that that was the first defeat of the season, and and of course, a tough game against City. Um, plenty of media sort of narrative in the, in the days following that on just on how how Liverpool were going to respond to it. Lots of people seemed desperate to sort of. You know, create a uh, an issue where there, I didn't really think there ever were, ever was one in terms of Liverpool folding under pressure. Um, you know, how would they cope? You, know, you make ten changes against Wolves in the FA Cup, or that's two losses on two losses in a row. I didn't think there was much there. And of course, then you have that very very comfortable in the end win, uh, despite sort of a, a stubborn Brighton side at the weekend. I mean, what did you make um, of that win over Brighton? And is that back to back to business as usual for you? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I don't think anyone can be surprised by Brighton being a low-scoring match this season in comparison to the previous season because Lewis Dunk didn't score an own goal and he likes to do that for us every now and again. God bless his soul. And they've changed. Like Brighton have matured as a team. They've been quite a difficult proposition for many teams who have visited them. I don't think people have seen much change from going there and trying to get three points. So for us to actually go there and get three points was 
good in itself. And right now we're in a business as usual, do what it takes kind of mode. If it means we don't have to exert truckloads of energy and try and score truckloads of goals to win the game, don't. You know, conserve yourselves, go through the January, go through peacefully, just go about your business, get three points, go on to the next one. And that's what I'm seeing right now. Liverpool doing things as as routinely as possible, if that makes any sense. And where there needs to be a charge, you go for a charge, you go and pile on the pressure and score more goals. And it's not a case as if we didn't try for that, Harry, in the second half, because in the second half we saw Mino shoot, we saw Mane shoot, we saw things go wide the post, we saw things going at the keeper. We also saw Salah. Ah, oh, honestly, I replay <laughs> this goal in yeah, this goal attempt in my head. He must have thought either that the the ball had gone out or something because he looks towards the linesman after taking the shot, thinking he's going to be rescued by the linesman somehow. Like, oh yeah, look, I'm flagging. You know, that wouldn't have counted anyway, kind of thing. As it goes painfully, just edging past the post, but. In reality, you'd have thought, yeah, man, you should have buried that one. And I think he thought he was going in as well. Hence the kind of sheepish looks afterwards a little bit. But um, you take him, Harry. You know, like if someone's, I know Gags has this mantra of like, you know, if someone offered him 30-81 nils at the beginning of the season, he'd take it. I'm in that same position right now. I'm absolutely in that same position mm-hmm. right now. If every match now till the season ended finished 1-0 to Liverpool in our favour, we win the league. Simple as that. We win the league. We'll we'll, we'll take the three points however they come. It's not about the prettiness of the football. It's about the effectiveness of the football currently. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I've been doing these pods all season and I I think if you speak to the the opposition fans, that's the one thing, whether it be a cliche or not really, that that fans are coming out with time and time again is that the first, not the frustrating thing, I mean, it's been frustrating for some of the rival fans who come on this pod, but I think the aspect that everyone's highlighted is that Liverpool over the past few years, you, you're so used to them winning when they were able to just sort of create that chaos and were a, were a full throttle, you know, if you, if you want heavy metal, uh, football team. Whereas it seems these days, of course, and you can see that from our defensive record, absolutely. Um, that now we're a team that just, just gets the job done and, and whatever the job is, we will work to get that done, uh, whether it be a one nil, whether it be, uh, you're know, conceding first and coming back to win, whether it be a tight game where we need to just you know, accept on 60 or 70. Okay, we're not going to score here. Let's just hold on to what we have. Um, it's not something we're accustomed to, of course, in recent years. Um, but yeah, this defense seems fully capable of doing that. And I guess one thing we, we should touch on then is that, I mean, last time we were at, uh, Brighton Stadium, of course, Ginny played in the back three with Emre Jan and, uh, and Tejan Lovren this time round, Fabinho is playing as a centre-back, given some of the injuries that we've got. Um, what did you make of how he performed there? Because it, it's sort of hard to, to judge a little bit because he wasn't really tested too much, but seemed very calm and uh, composed. Um, I think there was a one flashback to 14-15, where if you put the ball between our centre-backs, one of them will fail and someone will get beyond them. And that was it. You know, just that one sniff, I think, in the first or second half for Brighton, where it got over Fab's head. Uh, they were on goal, but nothing came of it. And that was it. You know, above and beyond, like, he was as effective as he needed to be. And that's sh- shown by the scoreline. They didn't score. And in regards to where we stand right now, and Fabinho playing centre-back longer term, I kind of doubt he would. I think it's just a case of make and make do. Sorry, mend and make do, as the saying goes, where mm. it's needed. Okay, great. You know what? They know what situation is with Matip coming back and when Joe Gomez is due to come back as well so they kind of know the deal in the backroom stuff in respect to when we'll be at full strength again so I think that's why they haven't tried and dip in this transfer market to go and get another centre back now because they know there's two more coming um, I think what will become more interesting is obviously with the revelation of Trent's in injury today and the fact that he'll be missing for the next few matches or so or sorry out for a month um what that does for Fab, does that mean he goes to right back? Because I think he had a time there at Monaco, right? Where he's played right back, if I remember correctly. I did have someone at work try and convince me profusely that he used to play right back for Brazil, but I have no idea on that one. So I'll leave that to the other starters that are out there. But in no, he regards, does, yeah. He, 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 he does play right back for Brazil quite a lot, yeah. Oh, okay. So, well, that, that makes it even more interesting then in regards to, you know, like with Trent being out of action for a month, where will Fab start in? Could be there. I don't know. 
I have no idea how much that integration of work has been done behind the scenes with the team. But then for Fabinho, I do like him in the middle. I do, I must admit, he's just been brilliant for us. Whenever I've seen him play anyway, I've, I've just adored what he's done in the middle of the I was going to say, yeah, yeah, I thought we missed something, didn't we, without him having him there on the weekend. I mean, there was a, at times, I mean, we've seen the, the way in which he's, he's able to pick a pass out as well as being that destroyer for us. And I thought, I thought we missed that a little bit on the weekend. It is just that industry of just going forward and being able to silkily go past players and suddenly you're 10, 15 yards up the pitch and in a completely different position and therefore a different proposition for the, the team you're playing against to deal with. Um, against the Man City match, I've not had the ability to watch the match back. I just remember from what I saw at the match when I was there. He was fabulous second half for us. I thought he was really, really good. I, it seems a cliche saying fab is fab, but that's exactly what we're seeing from him. You know, bar one match this season, I think live, which was the Arsenal draw, where he was much maligned by many people, but then statistically proven to have been not too bad, not too shabby, the fabby person. You know, leaving all rhyming things aside, with him going through the middle and the way that we play, it. It's refreshing, is the right word. Refreshing is probably the best way I can describe him for our midfield. Because it's the thrust, it's the guile, it's the intelligence, it's the balls. I still can't get out of my mind the ball he played to Sadio Mane for the goal against Manchester United. Oh, the yeah. first goal. Because it's just, you know, all of a sudden, it's all little dink over. the And Mane is onto that like a flash and bang. De Gea had no idea what was happening next. Yeah, you're watching it thinking like they were defending... They're sort of defending resolutely, and you're just wondering how are we going to get through? And then sort of a rapier. Yeah, this is how we're getting through here. Just you know, yep. completely perfect pass through, uh, cut you completely open. Yeah. And, but um, but yeah. no one would have been expecting that. You would have expected something low, something you know, going left, right, yep. left, right, yeah. drag him side to side. No, nope, none of that. It's right over, straight through the middle, and bang, one nil. Yeah, that's what I've come to expect from Fabinho whenever he plays for us. It's just something a little bit out of the ordinary. But he'll make it look so simplistic and think that it was completely natural and it was, this was what was supposed to happen. It was the, it was the reasoning behind him playing there. And you're like going, well, you know what? More of it, please. So as it stands right now, if it is a makeshift centre back, I don't think it's going to last for very long. Yeah, I, I was thinking that because I think it's, it does seem as though Matip could be back for this weekend. Um, and then you'd imagine, with the injury to Trent as well, um, you know, Milner is around, and you, you you just start to look at the midfield as well because Ginny has obviously picked up an injury, expected to be out for for, for the next one. So it, I, it, it, could, it could even be Nab Fab for you this weekend, uh, Harinda. Yeah, I'll take it. Nab and Fab when you've got Virgil Van Dijk behind them both, and you've got Matip sitting there thinking, "Well, I'm just playing along with all these great players. I'll just slot here nicely, just like I've done previously before I got injured." <laughs> Blushing. I'd say, you know, you'd be like, yeah, absolutely, you'd be blushing. I'd be blushing though I was playing next to Virgil van Dijk, I tell you, and Alisson behind me. You know, who wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't? No, absolutely. I mean, I think it's been, that pair been a revelation this season, but I think def- defensively, absolutely, we, we've been a revelation this season. And you mentioned those matches Trent will be out for as well. So it's what's Crystal Palace, Leicester at home. Uh, West Ham away and uh, you know, Bournemouth at home, so it's not, I guess, not the worst fixtures that he could miss, of course. And um, you'd hope once we get to the end of that run, uh, that, that Joe Gomez is back in the team as well. So I guess it could have been, could have been slightly worse. And it does appear that we have cover in that position, as we talked about. You got Fab, you got Milner there, you even got Camacho if we wanted to go down the youth route, of course, as well. Um, we get, I mean, we get. Well, there's no FA Cup matches as well in between, nah, so we've got, yeah. you know, so one of the January's was it last weekend of January ever is we've got that period free as well so it's there's some time to recover you know um, so it's not that much of a miss in regards to the next four weeks it's just that when you hear a month you're like oh my god a month you know or if somebody gets yeah. it it's a, it's a few weeks and in, in those next four weeks you're playing out in, in three of them one weekend you're not playing then you're like oh okay three is not too bad I think what, what what was bizarre, wasn't it, Herna, was, was was just the way in which, uh, I mean, at least on the um, on the channel I was watching on it, was, I mean, the commentator seemed to be mentioning from from the off the fact that he looked and he appeared to be injured, and then he, he ends up playing ninety minutes, and you and you can only imagine that. I mean, that this is how he's 
he's you know, exacerbated this injury and now he's out four weeks. just seemed like a strange decision really to keep him it on. It does because, you know, like he did seem as if he was completely out of it. And, you know, he like, didn't want the ball to be passed to him and he was, you know, all signals seemed to be, right, he's about to be substituted. Then he took his, I don't know, virtual equivalent of the Roger Ramjet power pill and that was it. Off he went. He was like a rocket after that. So before we, you're like, hang on, you're about to go off the pitch. You look injured. You appear injured. You made all the signals that you're injured. And everyone's like, oh, no, Trent's off, Trent's off. Oh, who's going? oh, no, kind of thing. And then he just played an absolute blinder. It was brilliant ever since, like, you know, if he did get injured, I don't know what happened to him, but he just seemed to just have some miraculous recovery on the pitch for the period he was on there. And then said, as soon as the game was over, all right, I'll break down now. You know, now I'm tired kind of thing. Now I'm in pain. So I, I don't know what would have, I'm sure our, our resident guru in regards to injuries, Mr. Simon Brundish, will have a complete clue as to what was going on there because I'm still perplexed as to how he managed yeah. to carry on playing. Yeah, he was. Leave leave alone the medical staff and Klopp. I'm perplexed. I'm just a normal human being. (laughs) Yeah, he was delighted that Trent uh, was allowed to continue playing. I'll let you know that he was he was very very happy about that. And um, but I guess yeah, it's it's just one of these things where you you can even imagine young players sort of telling telling the bench, yes, I'm okay to play. I'm okay to play, boss. And maybe not making the best decision. Obviously, we've seen. Um, in the past, Milner, sort of the second he knows he's got a slight pull, telling the bench, uh, and, and, and maybe you do, you do need to be a little bit older for that sort of decision making to come into your into your game, though. But I mean, just one thing I wanted to, to ask you before we get to the match itself, and I know we've already talked about the match with Jesse uh, to an extent, but I just wanted to ask you, I mean, as somebody who's, who's who's gone to so many Liverpool games, you know, over the past. Yeah, Lord, how many seasons really? And watch those near misses of title challenges. Um, watch those uh, competitive seasons where there was always something slightly missing. Um, what's your view on the mentality of this Liverpool team? Because I think it, the fact that we're still so cautious because it's only a four-point gap, um, I mean, it sometimes takes away from the fact that we have broken all sorts of records, both defensively, both points gathering, um, you know, for a Premier League team. Uh, by this stage of the season, so I just wanted to uh, ask you what your view is on on the team, um, and uh, yes, yeah, sort of their mentality and, and and how how you feel they are sort of going into these final games where they've got the chance to, of course, win the league. I think it's uncharted territory a little bit. In previous seasons, we've been so close yet yeah, so far, and hilariously, this is great timing, isn't it? You know how people are doing this 10-year challenge currently on Instagram, Facebook, and social media <laughs> as a whole? Even yeah. I got involved today, looking back at it. If I I can't do my 10-year challenge on Liverpool FC because I think it goes too much, it just goes so much longer than that. But 10 years ago, that was our, our la- one of our last great teams. You know, 08-09 season under Rafa, and we were always chasing, but, you know, we thought we could chase all the way to the end. And it didn't materialise because United had a certain player called Makeda and Spurs decided to just bend over and go, no, you know what? Come on through. Come on through, United. No, no. We have a 2-0 lead. We'll blow it just for you. Um, I still recall things like that, you know, rather painfully. But that seemed to be a period whereby we were chasing. It was never in our control. And because we were always chasing, we never knew what was going to come of that chase. Fast forward to 13-14. We're leading a charge. We've come from being first, dropping down, and then, you know, going on an amazing run, and then kind of self-imploding, you know, under, the, I suppose, the weight, almost, of our own expectation. We all believed it was going to happen. We kept on singing, you know, now you're going to believe us. Yeah, and it just kept on going through thirteen, fourteen, and poetry in motion. We sang all the songs before the victory parade, and the victory parade never came. And now I'm in a position, you know, so every year Gags and everybody else will ask, what's your prediction for the season? I go, oh, I'll go into every season thinking we're going to win. Yeah, I, until it becomes mathematically impossible that we can't win the league. But I will always want to hold on to that belief that we will. But this time around, it just feels so much more different because it means that we're with a team that's seen the pain, along with myself and other people in Kiev, and that really hurt so much pain that day and then the day after and then you know the one of the first things we do is go and buy a dm and all of a sudden certain pain started disappearing 
because the history changes of how we're acting as a team. Then we go and get possibly one of the best keepers, if not the best keeper in the world, currently on form. I would have Alison Becker over anybody. And until Chelsea went and bought Balaga, I can't even say Kepa. They went and bought a keeper called Kepa. There you go. They bought a keeper <laughs> called Kepa, Riza Balaga, and spent a bit more money than us. He was the most expensive keeper in the world. So not only did we buy the most expensive defender in the world, he bought the most expensive keeper in the world as well too. Liverpool historically have not done these things for a very long time. But now we're doing them out of normal. Like, you know what? We know where we need to go and improve. We're going to go and do it. And it makes you believe in that they're taking this shit seriously. They're not playing. They're not looking to you know, toy with our emotions in this thing. They want to do this this season. And it really does look like they can. I'm just not counting any chickens right now. And, I'm, and I think they're exactly the same. They're going to every match without the presumption, which sometimes they were guilty of, without the presumption of thinking, you know, right, we're going to win this because this team's easy. They go, no, we've not won until we know we've won this match, until it's completely clear on the board that, you know what, at the 90th minute when the whistle's about to blow, the three points are most definitely ours. They keep on going, epitomised, epitomised by our substitutes bench. We've had Daniel Sturridge come off the bench and score against Chelsea to make it one all. We've had Devil Karigi come off the bench to go and ruin Christmas once again for Everton. You know, things like we've had players come off the bench and go and win a match. Shakira against Man United. These are the things that have changed our season prospects overnight because we look at our team now and we can take them seriously in regards to what's on the bench and what's on the pitch. And also tactically, they're so astute. Who gets past Virgil van Dijk? Who? Who does? I can't think of anybody who's got past him. Effortlessly, he just seems to get himself into the right positions all the time. And it's just amazing. And I don't think, Harry, in all my years of watching Liverpool FC, I've seen a defender like him. I hated him when he played for Southampton against us. I can't but adore him and love him playing for us. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's, um, and I think it's also gone to the stage as well this season where, uh, when you see players like, you know, like a Van Dyke, like an Allison, um, even like a Salah as well, um, they start to develop an aura around them as well that you know, players, even, even coming on, on the pitch against them know, okay, I'm going to be in for it. No, I'm going to win. Benteke, if he is to come back into the team this weekend, thinks, oh, I finally got a chance and then looks over who's, who's, uh, who he's up against for the entire afternoon. Actually, then I think, goes, you know, oh, if we draw Real Madrid in the Champions League, Sergio Ramos will take one look at Virgil van Dijk and go, oh, for fuck's sake, I need to go, <laughs> I need to go and learn a whole new martial art to get past this one. And still yeah. not succeed. And Rafael Varane will have to take one look at Joe Gomez and go, oh, little brother. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. just, just, just more or less the same player, uh, just a, a few years younger. So, I mean... Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's some really exciting times. I think the way you mentioned there as well, just that it seems that there's a business-like approach in the team. Um, I was speaking about it a few weeks ago in terms of Salah, when all the body language ex- experts were out about his non-celebrations and et cetera, et cetera. And to me, it just always seemed the same thing. It, was, it wasn't uh, disgruntled. It, it wasn't unhappy. It was just that, yep, that's what I'm here to do. That's what I do. We scored a goal. Oh, is that another winner? Okay, fine. Same with Van Dyke, is that that's a clean sheet. Um, Trent, why, why are you out of position? Screaming, windmilling at him. Get back in position. But the, I mean, the pit, I, we're at the dying minutes on um, Saturday, and he's bellowing away, gesticulating, arms everywhere. I'm like, going, oh, what's happened? We're winning here. He's like, okay, right, right. Yeah, like, it's a serious Whoa. business. You're like, dude, okay, okay. Even I hear you, and I'm not even on the pitch. I'll, I'll sit wherever you want me to. I promise I won't move. Um, but it's amazing, Harry, to be able to talk of our team in the way that we're talking now. That, yeah, you rewind a year or rewind two years, rewind three years. We couldn't. We couldn't because we knew where the mistakes were. We knew where the individual errors were. We knew where the pain points were. And this season, this season, they're few and far between. They're few and far between. You're quite all much clutching at straws to find the individual errors, to find the defining moments which make you think, oh, for bleep's sake, what's happened here? Because they very rarely occur. 
they're very rarely occurring. This is me when I'm watching the matches. I don't sit there and see the same things that you guys do, clearly. And sometimes I just look at them and like going, I don't know how we've played like this when just the season before, minus two players, we were so much different. But it's so great to see where we are now. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, it brings us on to the, uh, onto the game then, of course, in terms of, um, Palace's arrival at, uh, at Anfield this weekend. We talked a little bit about sort of how we expect the game to be from, from, from Palace's side earlier in the pod. Um, from our side, I mean, would you expect to see, I mean, uh, except the injuries, of course, I mean, there's a few issues there to, to try and sort out, you know, Milner coming in, et cetera, potentially, uh, Fabinho maybe moving back to midfield, you know, the injury to Ginny as well. What does that mean? Um, but in terms of how are we going to approach the game? Um, I mean, would you expect us to just do um, exactly what we've been doing all season in terms of just grinding teams down and uh, Shaq to play in this sort of game for you as well? Um, I'm not too sure what Klopp's going to do team-wise because there's a lot of things he's got to think about, obviously, with the injuries that have happened. So it could go either which way. He could go 4-3-3, go 4-3-2-1, like a 4-2-3, however he wants to play it. But he's got that versatility, and I'm not going to try and second-guess it to some degree. The only things I can be sure of is, in respect to the defence, he's got a decision to make in regards to whether he does go with Milner. And I can't remember, did Milner come on? He was on the bench, he didn't come on, did he, against um, Brighton? So. Oh, no, he did, because he had that... Uh, oh, yeah, he did, sorry, he, he came that on. Assist, that near yeah, assist came, to Salah. Came on for Shaq, didn't he? So, I'm not too sure. I think Shakiri will start over Milner. And that means that probably Fabinho will slot into right back. That's what I'd wish for anyway. But um, who am I to second guess the boss, right? In that no. perspective. But uh, the front three picks itself. Our goalie picks himself. We know Van Dijk will play. We know Robertson will play. If Ginny's injured, then the questions become, does he play Henderson? Does he play Keita? Does he go for Milner? We don't, I don't know. But in this particular case... What I don't think you should do is go for things like Henderson, Milner, and um, Shakiri. I'd probably want someone like Kater to at least get a start to thrust, because you need people to go at them. Now, I understand where his fears will be. It'll be the likes of either Andros or Zaha bombing down the sides. So he'll try and nullify that with either strength or people who close the gaps. But with Milner and Henderson both playing, without Ginny, without Ginny, I don't know. I don't know whether those gaps will be closed down in the way that we're expecting them to be. Yeah, I think it would make sense for Naby to get a game here. I also think it makes sense for him to get well, a game He was great in the start. away game against them. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, absolutely you mentioned fabulous. that turn. Yeah, that yeah, turn. I mean, I, it was right in front of our eyes, Harry. It's absolutely <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, it's no, just, yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't, the pass that came after that, which was received, just didn't lead to a goal. If it led to a goal, I think all, I said all bets would have been off for getting a goal of the season in my eyes because that would have been it. Yeah, and you just hope that he can recapture some of that confidence as well. I thought you saw in that game, it was all on display, the sort of the swagger that he had, um, the arrogance he had on the pitch as well. And, and that's what we've been really desperate to see from him. I think I think he's he's found that a little bit tough sort of coming in and out of the team with the injuries as well. So it'd be good to see him get some minutes. Uh, this weekend, but I mean, to put you on a spot as well, then, Harina, and ask you for a prediction. I mean, I'm guessing you're going to be going for a win, and, and usually you tend to go for a big win as well. Um, and uh, of course, it being Roy, who's you know, obviously somebody who you're you know, very affectionate towards. Um, I mean, what indeed, you... look, I pulled a Christmas cracker with Roy, <laughs> and I let him have the toy, I let him have the paper hat that comes in it as well because he gave us, he gave us a victory against Man City. You know, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can keep all of that. But that was it. You know what? That victory was for Christmas, not for life. Yeah, that's as much as I'll hold Roy Dare, that he gave us a Christmas gift. That's it. It's a bit like a secret Santa at a place you work at and you leave. You don't remember who gave you the gift, but you remember the gift. That's it. Now it's, <laughs> now it's back to business. Now it's back to business. I don't like Roy. He probably doesn't like me. Probably doesn't hold Liverpool in great affection. Lots of people probably don't hold him in great affection either. He's great for Crystal Palace. They're you know a few points above the relegation zone. Could they get relegated? Might happen. Might happen. Do I want them to get relegated? No, because I like Jesse. Jesse is a nice guy. And he's worked with Liverpool FC previously and he's been to a few matches as well. He's a good sort. 
So I don't want Jesse to be upset. So I don't want them to get relegated. But, but all that being said, at the business end of the season, I do want them to lose. And if I had to predict a scoreline, I'd predict a scoreline that made me happy. Something like 4 0. Really go and throw them to the wolves. Batter them. 4 0. Very nice. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think, um, it's been, it's been a while since you've had a sort of a, a more goal rich performance. I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for a 3 0 as well. Um, and I, I hope it's, uh, another emphatic sort of statement, I guess, to the rest of the league that no, 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 we're not going anywhere. And it'll be back to the seven point lead, uh, sort of pressure on Man City again. But, um, I guess that sort of wraps things up for us here. Then on the, on another um, Anfield Index Premier League preview show. So I just want to thank everybody for 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 listening to the pod, of course. And we'll, we'll be back again next week to talk about uh, Liverpool's upcoming game against Leicester. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening, guys. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.